You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Test one, two. Woo, that's hot. That's also right in my mouth. And so like I had the mic like directly in my mouth. There we go. All right, cool. Everybody good? All right, Olivia just brought the notes down. So if you want notes, Olivia's got them. And if you want to take notes... You can try to keep up with test one, two. That Ooh, that's fast. hot. That's also right in my mouth. And so, like, I had the mic, like, directly in my mouth. There we go. All right, cool. Are we live? Everybody good? Are we getting there? All right. Olivia just brought the notes down. So if you want notes, Olivia's got them. And if you want to take notes, really awkwardly when it comes you can try to keep up with test one, two. That Ooh, that's fast. hot. That's also right in my mouth. And so All right, we're live. All right, what's up, everybody, on the live stream? All right, cool. Um, are we live? tuning in. Everybody you are here, at, I believe. And um, right. if you're here, Olivia back, just brought the notes down. So if you want um, notes, you Olivia's got them. And if you want to take notes, so anyway, what's up? Is he calling you guys class? What's he calling That's also right in my mouth. All right, we're live. All right, what's up, everybody, on the live stream? Brothers and sisters, that's good. Hey, brother, we're here. here at I believe um, tonight we are going to be talking about um, 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 notes. Want to hear me? Sovereignty. Want to take notes? So anyway, what's up? Is he calling you guys to class? All right, we're live. All right, what's up, everybody on the live stream? Brothers and sisters, this is so much good day. Hey, brother, we're here just allowing us just tonight. We are going to be talking about and just talk about sovereignty. Want to take notes? Anyway, what's up? Is he calling about you to learn more about how you reveal yourself? to uh, reveal, reveal yourself to us in your word, and I pray that tonight we will be sharpened, that we will um, just grow, walk away from here uh, with just a more vast knowledge of you and more all of you and worship of you. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think I know everybody in here, but if you don't, I'm Tyler Armstrong. I'm the community pastor here, and so it's so good to see you. Um, I told Thomas I'm really excited about this because, like, I mean, every week I teach, right? I mean, I teach in some form or fashion but it's more of a preaching setting. Like, this is what I got my degree in. And so, like, I was a secondary education teacher for, like, a month, and then I got a full-time job here. And so um, this is what I do. And so I love to teach. Um, I love to do these things. So tonight we're diving into omnipotence and sovereignty. Does anybody want to take a sh- just a throw at the wall about what omnipotence is? What is it? All powerful, right? And so you take that word omni, that's the um, root word that means all, and then potence, powerful, are all things that are, go- are potential, all right? So we're going to be talking about the all powerful God, which then feeds into his sovereignty, all right? This is chapter 13 of Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is kind of the book that we've kind of used to root all of our teaching and all this, but we're going to be going in different ways. Um, first thing we're going to talk about, these are incommunicable, incommunicable attributes of God. And when I say incommunicable, the communicable attributes of God are, hey, listen, have you ever heard say, man, that was, such a wise, you, that was such a wise thing? You ever said that to somebody? Have you ever said, hey, man, that person's really loving? Okay, those are communicable attributes of God. Those are the attributes he can give us. Okay, those are the things that we can be like God in. Um, all of us in this room cannot be all-powerful, okay? So these are not communicable to us. And at the same time, we cannot be sovereign, all right? Even though we like to think we are, we cannot be sovereign. So these are incommunicable attributes of God. First thing we'll see is that omnipotence is the quality of having very great slash unlimited power. Every time I say unlimited power, I think of Palpatine in episode three, you know, talking about where like right there, right when Mace Windu dies. Anybody Star Wars fans in here? Okay, am I like talking just like, okay, I'm just making sure I didn't like, a few people are just staring at me through their masks and I'm like, who is Palpatine? What in the world? You know, Palpatine's like, unlimited power, okay? And it really wasn't unlimited power because, spoiler alert, he dies, and then he comes back, 
and then he dies again. And so, what in the world? I'm sorry, I just ruined the entire series for you, all right? You've had like 30, 40 years to watch it. I mean, come on, man. I mean, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I think the spoiler ban's been lifted. Um, but anyway, so that is what omnipotence is. It is having very great unlimited power. But we're going to talk about this in just a little bit because a lot of people, when we hear omnipotence, we say this word, well, God can do anything. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So first, true statements that we will establish. First, our God is omnipotent. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. All right, when he used that word Almighty, he is saying, I am the powerful God. I am the one who is all-powerful. Genesis 18, 14. Now, I love this one because um, like Sarah like laughs out loud. Whenever she hears, like, I'm about to have a son, she laughs. She's like, <laughs> I'm 100 years old. Like, come on, right? And so the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. If you're underlining, underline, is anything too hard for the Lord? Like, I mean, come on, y'all. Like, that's so good. That's so rich. Job 42.2. If you've ever read, read the end of Job, I would highly encourage you to do that. If you want to be humbled in your humanity, read the end of Job. All right? Um, if you don't know the story of Job, let's just dive in really quick. Like, Job is this guy who um, is suffering. I mean, Satan comes to Job and says, hey, um, I mean, comes to God and says, hey, listen, um, I bet I can get Job to turn away from you. He goes, go for it. Gives him permission. And then Job's entire family, entire possessions, and ends up getting sick. I mean, like, loses everything that he has. And towards the end of the book, Job is just, like, questioning the Lord. Like, he is really wondering, why me? And the Lord just humbles him. Like, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Like, where were you? You know, and I mean, I read that, like, a couple years ago when my father passed away. And when I was struggling, you know, asking God these hard questions. In this verse, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He is all-powerful. He will hold all things in his hand. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? He answers that in thirty-two seventeen. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for God. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or even think. That is how powerful our God is. If you could wrap your mind around the power of God, he would cease to be God. Do you realize that? The problem is, is what we do is we want to take God and we want to fashion him and make this God that looks like us, that acts like us, that thinks like us. And so we want to take him and we want to go, well, my God would never do something like that. How many, has anybody ever heard that, that phrase used before? Yeah, I mean, I've heard that so many times. You know, well, my God would never do that. And we kind of went through this weird phase. Um, it was because of some song that came out on the radio. I remember my Sunday school teacher saying all the time, well, my Jesus all right, like my Jesus, and like the thing was, is man, he, he's Jesus, right? And he is our savior in those things. But when we try to fashion them into this like personable, like, like us, instead of us trying to be like him, 
That's when it kind of gets starting getting whack and kind of gets out of line. He is so much far more abundantly than we can all ask or think. 2 Corinthians 6.18, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Same term that he used in Genesis um, 17, a Lord Almighty. Revelation 1.8, this is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Luke one thirty seven speaking to Mary when Mary goes... How am I going to have a baby when I've never been with a man? What does the angel say? For nothing will be impossible with God. And then this is what I love, okay? Think about this. Jesus, Matthew nineteen twenty six. but Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, so I want you to just imagine this. There's this moment where I believe that you know, now this is just like speculating a little bit, so I want you to understand that this is not biblical per se, but you have to imagine that Mary told her son the story of her birth. Told the story of her birth. And she said that this angel came to me and said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then listen to what Jesus just literally told these Pharisees. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Like Jesus knew the power of the Father, he knew the power of himself, obviously, because he was Jesus. And as he grew in all those things, he came into his identity as the son. But with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I love just thinking about Mary telling her son the story of this. You know, and just this is like a side note about the canon of the scriptures. We actually believe, I mean, like there's like, you know, we try to figure out like how the canon goes and all these things. Like Luke knows so much more about the Gospels and like knows all these stories about Jesus and it goes so much more in depth. And so people like speculate and there goes, well, there has to be like this like source out there that's like floating around that we don't know what it is. It's called the Q source theory. You know, it's kind of whack. Okay, what the traditional is is that Luke traveled with Mary and learned from Mary the stories of Jesus because Jesus was following her son around. Right? And so really interesting. All right? Psalm uh, 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. All right? That one we're going to visit in just a minute. And then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to go to this one because this is, this is one of my favorites. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay. What does that word, now we've joked about this before. I've said this many times in the sermon. The Greek word for all means what? All. Okay, it means all. It doesn't mean some authority has been given to me, some authority has been given to me, and some to Satan, some authority has been given to me, and some to you. No, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then Jesus commissions his church. He commissions his disciples. He tells them to go under his authority. So, now this is what I would encourage you to do, okay? I would encourage you, go back tonight, go back with it before next week, and read all these texts in context, all right? These, I took just little snippets of verses. Go back and read them in context. Make sure that these line up, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, don't just take this at its word, okay? Dive into the scriptures, study these scriptures, and then just behold the Lord God who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, who is the one who holds all things with the power of his mighty right hand, all right? So, sovereignty now. Let's move into sovereignty. So, our God is sovereign. Now, omnipotence, we've most of the time grown up in a world that we know God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. 
I didn't hear the words, God is sovereign. And I mean, I heard it like said in a sermon and all these things, but truly understand it until I was around 17 to 18 years old, somewhere in that season. All right, so the sovereignty of God, Job Piper says this, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Daniel 4, 34 through 35. This is um, right after Nebuchadnezzar is like humbled. All right, now if you know the story of Daniel, um, King Nebi, he kind of struggles a little bit and he has like this idea, this like God complex in his mind and he gets humbled very much so in the book of Daniel. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Okay, like, I wish that most of us just like nailed this passage somewhere in our house and read this passage over and over and over until it just like sunk into our brains because this is a pagan king who literally said, we're going to build a statue and we're going to worship it. And now we, we, now we look at that and we kind of read that story like, man, that's crazy. Like, who would do that? Well, number one, like, we literally have countries around the world that do that today. And then we have a lot of people in our country that still do that today, if we're going to be honest. And ultimately, the biggest idol is the idol of self. That is the biggest idol that we battle. That is the biggest idol that we combat. That is what I combat daily. That is what you combat daily. The idol of self. The idea that we think we are better gods than the God of the universe. I mean, that is literally what Adam and Eve's greatest sin was. It was their pride. It was them falling into the sin of, man, you know what? What the serpent said is good. And like, I want that knowledge of good and evil. I want to have that. I, I mean, literally, what's the Satan's lie? You can be like God. You can be like God. And we still believe that lie, that we can be like God in our sinful flesh. And we know that's not true. Nebuchadnezzar's humbled, and he literally says, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Like, there's nobody on earth that can literally look at God and go, why have you done it this way? Why have you done it this way? I mean, there's Romans 9 that literally says that the pot can't look at the potter and go, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me this way? I mean, I, I kind of use this when I talk about, you know, um, sovereignty or omnipotence. Like, if my son came to me right now and his English somehow overnight got better, okay, and he looked at me and said, he said, Father, I want to meet you in the octagon and beat you down, like, y'all, that fight would be nothing, Right? Like, hopefully I could take my two-year-old son out, okay? If I couldn't, it wouldn't be that great. Now, you're talking to the guy who broke his foot walking to the refrigerator, but hopefully that would be an unfair fight. Now, let's just say that I went to Conor McGregor. No, let's not, let's not use Conor McGregor. He got beat the other night. Let's use um, Francis Ngannou, biggest heavyweight in the world right now. If I went to him and I said, hey, Francis, I, I want to fight you, man, he would destroy me, okay? Like, I would die. There would, no, there would not be a chance, but the thing is, is that is, if we just kept going on and on and on, even though these guys can like stay at the top, there's going to be somebody who eventually comes and beats them. In the same way, we are like Brooks going to Francis Ngannou when we try to stand up to the Lord. All right, now that's incomplete illustration. 
He is that powerful. He is that sovereign. He is that in control. And we cannot say, what have you done? I mean, I, I literally used that language this morning. My son, he grabbed something out of the bathroom and he's like running through the house and like toilet paper's going everywhere. And I'm like, Brooks, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What have you done? Like, why, why are you doing this? Imagine looking at the creator of the universe and saying, what have you done? Why have you done this? Why do we do that? Because we think we are sovereign individuals. Why? Because we're Americans, not Americans, right? We know that. It's deep in our soul, all right? Give me liberty or give me death. Okay, that's kind of what we go after. But we're going to go deeper into this. All right, so God's sovereignty is the exercise of his will as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Abraham Kuyper, all right, um, theologian, says there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Not a square inch, brothers and sisters, that he doesn't all look down upon and go, that is mine. Doesn't that just like make you just like want to worship? I mean, like for me, like I, I hear that and I'm like, praise God. Praise God that even the forces of evil, even the forces of evil, they are used by his good intentions and good purpose to work out good according to our will. According to his will, not our will, his will. Got tongue-tied right there. I got talking fast. My ADHD kicked in right there. Sorry. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. All right, this is A.W. Pink quoting Isaiah 46. And he argues, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent, God does as he pleases. And only as he pleases, always as he pleases. He doesn't consult anyone else. He does what he pleases, as he pleases. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, okay? Now, there's a creedal reference there. I put the Nicene Creed in there. This is like an Orthodox Christian creed that every um, Orthodox Christian should affirm. And it says, we believe in one God, the Father, what? Almighty, all-powerful, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. He is the creator, sustainer, the all-powerful maker, and he's the one who is in control of all of it. He is the sovereign, almighty one. Now, God's sovereign power is on display in three arenas of life. First is creation, all right? In creation, what happened when God created the earth? What did he do? Spoke. He spoke. That was it. All right, like literally, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a student pastor in town, and he and I were talking, and um, he has a student who's like exploring other religions right now. Like who's diving into these other religions and just exploring and just, I mean, it, it's good for him. You know what I'm saying? It's not one of those things. But what he's like kind of on right now because of the Marvel movies, um, because now all of them are on Disney Plus and he can watch them all, is this like Norse mythology. And like he's like just diving into these like Norse mythology. And he's like, man, like how, like me and this guy were talking, he's like, man, like how would you combat this? Like how would you talk about this? Like y'all, like go read like some of these stories about like these like other gods, like in other these little G gods. Man, these gods, like, they like consult one another, they talk to one another, or like they do immoral things to make things happen, especially Zeus. You now that's Greek mythology. When you dive into it, like, man, it, it's crazy some of the stuff he's doing. Like he has like a wife, but then he also has another wife, and he also has another wife, and like our God's not that God. And it's not like he's just sitting there bored and just says, you know what, like I'm just going to do this. No, he speaks creation for his glory, he speaks creation to existence for his glory, creates for his glory alone, and then maintains dominion over that creation. 
He maintains control over that creation. It wasn't like on Genesis 3 when Adam sinned, he was like, oh no, I totally didn't expect that. Hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Trinity huddle, what are we going to do? Jesus, you're going there. What? No, I'm not. That, that was never even a conversation. Jesus was plan A from the get-go because he was sovereign in control. And even though he knew it was going to happen in this universe, this is God's goodwill in our, in, for us, for his glory, that we would come to know Christ and that we would share the love of Christ. He was not surprised. He was not taken by any kind of just shock. And he maintains dominion of that creation. Jesus shows us in Mark 4, 38 through 41. This is just a short passage. It says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I love this. Okay. Disciples are freaking out on the boat. They're up there just spazzing out. And where's Jesus? He's out like a light. He's asleep. And um, uh, there's a really great book on the humanity of Christ. It's called The Jesus That We Missed. I would encourage everybody to read it. It's by Patrick Reardon. Um, he talks about how, where was Joseph every time the Lord spoke to him? Asleep. Every time God, God sent an angel to Joseph, he was asleep. Kind of this peaceful serenity and trusting in the Lord's promise. You know, Jesus asleep, just like his father, you know, his earthly father. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're essentially like, hey, Jesus, we're dying. Do you not even care? Like, what are you doing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Like I just imagine this groggy Jesus, just like, Peace, be still. In modern words, chill. Calm down. And then he says, Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, So they were afraid of the storm. And now they're like, Great fear, what in the world just happened? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think sometimes we kind of lose that awe and wonder, right? Like, do we, do we kind of lose that. Because, we, I mean, we're reading these stories, we're so familiar with them. Like, just put yourself in the boat at that moment. I mean, like the other night when that storm came through, my son, that was like the first time like he's ever been like alert, like old enough to be alert when the storm and like the lightning's flashing through the windows and he went and got in the bed with my wife, and my wife woke up, and I was up just hanging out. I loved staying up during storms. And she came in there and was like, is there like a tornado outside? Like, what's going on? Like, just imagine being with Jesus, where he just goes, peace, be still. And it just stops. Like, what? Like, that kind of power, we can't even fathom it, but it's literally here. Jesus has that kind of control. Second, the daily life of humans, all right? Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Y'all, we can make plans all we want to. All right, I'm going to pull up another verse from James chapter 4. This has been like my coronavirus verse. I've said that many a times, and the reason why is because every time I made a plan, it was just like it didn't happen. All right, listen to what it says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, do it for him, it is sin. 
I call that coronavirus verse because how many times, like, I mean, like 2020, the entire year, we we're like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then the Lord is like, nope, you're not doing that. And what I've truly learned is I say this now all the time, I and mean, I think I literally just said it just a few minutes ago about my foot, if the Lord wills, then I'll do this. I mean, I've made it a practice, if the Lord wills, because I am not sovereign. You are not sovereign. And it's not, and I'm not saying like to just go out and become like a hippie, free, free spirit Christian and go out, oh man, I'll just do whatever the Lord wills, right? You know? uh, don't do that. But what I am saying is this, make your plans, but understand the Lord has the ultimate plan. It does not matter how in, just in depth your 20 year plan is. The Lord will thwart it. And it literally says in, in Psalm 2, he laughs at the intentions of the wicked. Laughs. Laughs. The Lord laughs at that. I mean, come on. And so, so many times, like, I read that verse and I go, man, like, James 4, this verse right here, I plan, but man, if the Lord wills, because he's in control. He is sovereign. He is over all things. Genesis 50, verse 20. This is at the end of uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph's narrative from, from 37 to 50. Um, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Don't you hear Christ saying those words? You know, especially to the people who crucified him. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's the ultimate show of God being in control of the daily life. Jesus was literally crucified by men who the Father planned to crucify him so that the salvation of the many can be accomplished. Like just, just, that's so beautiful. I mean, uh, literally, Peter teaches that in Acts. In the first Christian sermon, he goes, listen, you all have crucified Jesus, but this is according to the definite and foreknowledge plan of God. He is sovereign, he's in control, and even to the point where he is sovereign over death. All right, Acts 2, 23-24. This Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, this is what's interesting. Where is Jesus, I mean, where is Jesus? Where is Peter at when he's proclaiming the sermon? Pentecost. Now, what was Pentecost? All the Jews from all over the Roman Empire came to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this, this season, this, this festival. Is it the Harvest Festival or Planting Festival? Is it Harvest? I think it's Harvest, right? Is that Pentecost? Yeah, Pentecost. I was looking over Thomas and Stephen. I'm like, where, where are my guys at? All right? And so, um, and so um, it's the harvest season. So they come in. Were all the Jews of the empire in town when Jesus was crucified in that very moment? Not necessarily. There may have been people that weren't there, that were there celebrating the Passover, the Pentecost that day. And then that moment where the trial of Jesus was going down, where all the Jews everywhere crowded up right there, there was people in the crowd that weren't there. And Peter, what does he say? You crucified Jesus. So when we hear this, y'all, we crucified Jesus. In our sinfulness, in our flesh, when we sinned, we crucified Jesus. But it was according to the plan of God that God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love the story of Lazarus. I didn't have enough time to put the entire narrative there, but John eleven forty three, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus just taking his sweet, precious time to get to his friend's funeral. Three days. And he gets there. Martha runs out and is like, Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Right? And, I mean, 
Man, Jesus didn't even stay at his own funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like he couldn't even stay in the grave. And I, I, I honestly believe, I've heard many pastors say this, and I'm going to quote them. I don't remember who all said it, but I've heard many of them say it. He said, Lazarus, come out, because if he had just said, come out, all the graves would have opened. He was so specific. Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus walked out of the grave. And now what ended up happening was Lazarus ended up dying again. He ended up dying again. He wasn't in his glorified body. Jesus resurrected him from the dead, but he wasn't in his glorified body. Jesus overcame death by coming out of the grave by the power of the Spirit. And that same power now resides inside of what? Us. That is what Paul says in Romans 8. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now resides in who? You. So Jesus, sovereign over death. Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, if you read all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the, you know, the Acts, the narratives, especially the first five books of the Bible, you see that the demons know who Jesus is. Every one of them. They know who Jesus is. When they interact with Jesus, they are horrified. Uh, my favorite story is Acts, I think it's Acts 17, Acts 18, the sons of Sceva. It's like, hey, Jesus I know and Paul I heard of, but who are you? Uh, talking to these guys, and then they get beat up, and they're running through the streets naked, beat up, and it's just a really embarrassing story for those guys. Um... What I believe really is kind of the whole paradox of this is that the, the like punishment for sin is death. And the Father used death to overcome death. He used death to overcome death. He used the death of His Son to overcome death for us through the power of Christ's resurrection and that we believe in the gospel and are saved by it. Now, this is where we got into the, uh, the omnipotence, okay? I kind of like when I teach omnipotence, it is all things that are potential. Because here's the thing, can, do, can God do all things? Not necessarily, okay? And this is why I say this, okay? He cannot do things that are contrary to his nature, okay? That is huge. So, like, if you're really taking notes, you've got to underline that, highlight that. He cannot do things that are contrary to his nature. And we're going to dive into that. First, God cannot lie, Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Secondly, he cannot be tempted, James 1.13, let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.13, he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot do those things, right? So God can do all things that are potential, but there are things that he cannot do because it would be contrary to who he is. And that is what we see, all right? Anybody got any questions up to this point? All right, cool. All right, I'm going to keep just trucking through, okay? Just hold on to me. I know I'm teaching fast, and if I'm teaching fast, just be like, hey, pump the brakes, all right? Um, I'm used to my wife out there going like this. She's doing the Gus Miles on, like, hurry up, because, like, I'm getting on some kind of rabbit trail. And so, like, I'm when I'm really focused like I am right now, you may want to go, hey, bump the brakes. Okay, so anyway, breaking through the guardrails. Now, this is why I say breaking through the guardrails. How many of y'all have ever seen somebody like, like a wreck like that where they run off the road through the guardrails? What are guardrails for? Keep you on the path. Keep you on the road, right? Keep you on the thing. Um, I can't tell you how many times up at Nakalua Falls where I came off the trails. Okay, now they're like, back when I used to run those trails, I don't run as much anymore. But and when, I, when I used to run those trails a lot, there was a time where I accidentally ended up on Hines Road, okay? I ran straight through, ended up on Hines Road, and if you're familiar with Gadsden folklore, a couple of people are like, all right, 
Hines Road's a creepy place. So right, sun was going down, and I got picked up by two Mormon missionaries um, who were riding in the back of a guy's Jeep. It was a really random situation. I don't know. It was ordained by the Lord. All right. Uh, I had a great conversation about Mormon theology. Um, but I got picked up. They, like these Mormons, I guess, were like walking down and this guy in a Jeep picked them up. And then I just had me running. They're like, Hey, man, you need a ride. They're like, you're supposed to be here. I was like, Yeah, my car's about the falls and I don't know where I am. And so, um, it was a great story. But you have to stay in the guardrails. The problem is, is that we as human beings, we like to, once again, fashion God into our own ideas, and we like to kind of wrap, you know, make God who we are. And so what we do is we're like, we got these guardrails of Scripture. We got these guardrails of the bounds of Scripture. And then kind of like the creeds, I, I mentioned the Nicene Creed earlier, the creeds are based on Scripture. All right, for so many years the Baptists used to say, no creed but the Bible, but that's a creed in and of itself. All right, okay, so like the creeds, Help us, they're not this, it's like this, where the scriptures, the sun, the moon reflect the light of the sun. That's what the creeds do. They help us to see it clearer, all right? So dive into those orthodox creeds, they're great, all right? Um, once you get kind of into like past like 5th, 6th century, kind of get kind of hairy there sometimes. Um, just be careful, but anyway, that's what happens. All right, so absurd, absurd philosophical arguments. Have you ever heard this one? Can God create a rock that he himself cannot lift? Right, this is like a Greek philosophical argument against God that God, like, it's, it's kind of like this thing of, hey, we're trying to put, put God in a corner. If he cannot create a rock that he cannot lift, well, then he's not all powerful. If he can, well, then he's still not powerful. It's a paradox. Okay? Um, there's another one that I read today. I'd never read this one. Uh, can God whisper a secret so silent that he couldn't even hear it? I'm like, these people need to get a job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. Like, what are we doing? Um... But this is a paradox that many will use to prove that God is not all-powerful. But God cannot create a power more powerful than himself. Okay? This is what I mean. If he could create a rock so heavy that he himself could not lift it, that rock would in turn be God. Why would he create God if he is already God? It is not a solid argument. It is meant to try to confuse you. It's garbage. Okay? It literally goes against the, con the, the argument of God. Okay? Anybody got any questions about that? Okay, sweet. Just make sure. Okay. C.S. Lewis says this, His omnipotence means power to do all things, to do all that is intrinsically possible, not to do the intrinsically impossible. You may attribute miracles to him, but not nonsense. This is no limit to his power. Okay? The previous thing was nonsense. God will do all things within his power to do things that are miracles that, you know, kind of defy what our understanding is of the law of physics and the law of nature. He can do that. He wrote them. But he will not do something that's contrary to his nature. For example, creating a rock so heavy that he himself could not lift it. All right, next one. This is another one. Dualism. Now, this is the one that so many of us buy into and we don't mean to. Okay? And I'm going to go on a, just a little bit of a just small tangent here, and it's okay because it's okay. Everybody here is like, came since I've been here and they weren't here when I did this. Judgment house. Anybody ever been to a judgment house? Okay. I'm going to explain the concept of a judgment house really quick. Um, it's like a Christian haunted house. Okay. Christian haunted house. Churches do it in the fall. And uh, we used to do one here. All right. We used to do one. And my issue with judgment house, my issues with it is that there's theological issues. Okay. I can remember going to judgment houses and one, they got all the students in the student ministry to play demons so they could scare people. And literally what they were doing was trying to scare the hell out of people. And I mean that literally. Like they were trying to scare people into salvation. Okay? That is what they tried to do. And so, when you got to heaven, 
All right, well, first you didn't get to heaven. Like, okay, so like, there's like this like, tragic story that these two teenagers die. One of them knew the Lord, one of them didn't. And then like you follow these teenagers. It's like a moving play. And so then you go to like this like judgment room and there's like this dude with a really deep voice that they got. And he's like, you know, you are my well done faithful servant, Julie. You can go to heaven. And like, these angels with wings come in and they're like the senior adults of the church and they come and grab them and go. And then what happens is, is then the demons come in and get the person who wasn't believed. They're like, but I was going to believe and all this stuff. And they take them to hell. Okay. When you go into hell, where was Satan? He was sitting on this really creepy throne that had like skulls on it and all these things. Is there anywhere in scripture that mentions Satan sitting on any throne anywhere? No. Is Satan in hell right now? No. If he's in hell, he's supposed to be being punished, all right? So like, if, biblically speaking, if we were going to go there in a judgment house, we need to be going to like Revelation 20 where he's like getting punished. But instead, what we see is like this like idea of we're trying to scare you and like Satan's like sinner screaming at you going, we can't wait for you to get here, da, 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 da. And then you go to this Jesus scene, like this heaven scene. And that's where Jesus, like you see the glories of heaven and then you go to this room and they share the gospel with you. Have people been saved through it? 100%. All right. I had a student who came to know the Lord through it, and man, he is still in church, still very active. Um, I think he's married with a kid now, and man, he is doing great. All right, doing wonderful. I think it's very much possible the Lord can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. I'm a perfect example of that. The first sermon I ever preached from, was from Job, like 17, and I don't even know why. I went to this like Christian hardcore show, and I preached this text out of context, and like two people got saved. Okay, like it was absolute garbage. I look back and I'm like, man, thank you, Lord, for being the one who is in charge of that. Because if I was, I wouldn't save anybody. But the problem is, is that we lean into this dualistic idea, right? We do it all the time. Good and evil, left versus right, red versus blue, Democrat versus Republican. Everything is this like versus thing. What we need to realize, first off, brothers and sisters, the world's very gray. And two, when it comes to God versus Satan... Get back on the get back on the trail right here. When it gets back to God versus Satan, y'all, there is no God versus Satan. Satan is a defeated enemy, and he is just grabbing anyone he can on the way on his way to hell. He is defeated. All right, Spurgeon said that that he is a like you know it says in First Peter he is a lion seeking whom he may devour. Spurgeon says he's a lion on a leash. He cannot do anything without the Lord ordaining it. So we should, like, take, like, just, just, man, just lean into that. Little children, First John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Man, believe in that, brothers and sisters, and realize that sometimes we give Satan way too much credit. I'll never forget my brother-in-law who's at this church tonight, love and death, very strong believer at his age. Um, when he was younger and he first got saved, he accidentally said a bad word, okay? He saw this Alabama fan, he saw this LSU fan's um, shirt at a football game, and it was like purposely like flipped words to like say a really bad thing about Nick Saban. And um, he's like reading it, and then he said this really bad word walking through um, Auburn, okay? And he says it, and he goes, the devil made me do it, <laughs> all right? <laughs> well, first it was just a word tie, right? But how many times have we said that? Well, I mean, the devil made me do it. The enemy we use that language a lot. And I, is the enemy at work? Yes. 100%. He has, you know, demons. He has all these things. But brothers and sisters, let's just be honest. Most of the time it's just us. It's our flesh, our sinful flesh. We give Satan way too much credit. 
Only God is omnipotent and sovereign. And then the last thing, breaking through the guardrails, is this big man, little God theology. And notice I put little g, all right? God is 100% in control, and this is for our good. Now, you may say, do people have to answer for their choices and actions? Yes, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. Okay? I would encourage you, go read the book of Exodus, um, especially the first few chapters in the, when, in, in the Exodus when they're leaving Egypt. Um, it says that ten times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the other ten times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So, divine sovereignty, God is in 100% control of all things, and man's free will, and notice I put quotes around free, I'm going to explain that in just a second. Man's free will are both biblical. Now, when we say free will, this is what we need to realize. I think it was um, Justin who said this when we sang No Longer Slaves just a few weeks ago. You are a slave to something. We all are slaves to something. You're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to your own will. So what is the only way to a truly free will? Christ Jesus. That is how we can glorify the Father. That is how we can become like Him. And that is the only way to be truly free. And, 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 like, I understand, like, I mean, like, we don't like to think of a God that's up there, like, you know, playing puppets. That's not what's going on. That is not at all what's going on. He's not up there, like, being, you know, the puppeteer. That's not at all what's going on. But our Lord is 100% in control, and somehow, some way, in a way that is outside of the human realm of thinking. Like, our minds cannot fathom it. Divine sovereignty and our free will, our, our, our will... The Lord works through it, the Lord works in it, and he uses it for our good. The crucifixion proves that. He used man's will for evil to destroy death and sin forever. All right? So that's breaking through the guardrails. All right? Anybody got any questions? I talked for exactly 40 minutes, so I did good, Thomas. All right? I told Thomas I was going to go for like 30 to 40 minutes, and I went 42. I could have kept going, but I was like, no, I got to get through this. Any questions for me? Put me on the spot. Nikki's about there shaking her head no, and I'm like, yes, that's good. All right. <laughs> Nobody? All right, Thomas, like, throw me a question. I mean, come on, man. Like, try to stump me. I was, like, ready for this. I was, like, Jeopardy. I was, like, studying for this. I was ready. What is open theism? All right. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's a yeah, that's a good question. So, like, how are churches? If you didn't hear that on the live stream, like, how are churches being led astray by this? Um, I, I think once again, I think we give Satan too much credit. I think that we go back to that and we, you know, we look at the enemy and we kind of imagine. And, and, and in a way, there is this good versus evil battle in the world going on, right? We see this. There is a good, there is a evil, and they are battling. Um, and I put this like heresy on there. I didn't dive into it because I didn't want to like go way off. It's called Manichaeism. It's actually a religion. It was a religious system. It's it's gone gone. Um, it was really popular in the 3rd through 7th centuries. Um, Augustine, um, or Augustine, or St. Augustine, whatever you want to call him, he was a believer, a follower of this, and it was this dualistic idea of God is good, 
all things that are spiritual are good, all things that are material are bad, right? And I think that's one thing. I mean, you want to point out something that's leaked into the church, that. You know, the spiritual versus material world, the things of this world are bad. I mean, that's like um, my first image of heaven growing up was uh, Tom and Jerry, and Tom, like, getting wings and going into the clouds, and, like, behind him, the world is, like, being destroyed and in flames. Like, that's not the biblical image of heaven. This world is going to be renewed. Like, God is going to renew his creation. He's going to reign here. And, like, that's the purpose of Christianity. I mean, like, I mean, that's it, like, redemption. And so there's kind of this, like, spiritual versus material. I mean, I mean, you see this in, I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and go here. Like, you see this in the True Love Waits movement in a lot of ways. Like, you know, back in, back in those days, like, we have, like, an entire generation of students, I mean, myself included, that are taught that things, can, can I say sex, is that okay? I just said it, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> so, um, I was like, can I say that? And I looked around the room, and so, uh, we have this entire generation that was taught that, like, sex is bad until you're married. You know, it's kind of this, like, this physical thing, this fleshly thing is bad. And no, it's not. It's a good thing enjoyed in its right context. And so, like, that leaks into, and it, and it shapes who we are, like, philosophically. It shapes who we are as people. It moves us into this direction of, like, all things. Like, you're either on this side or this side. You're either on God's side or Satan's side. And that's just not how it works. It's not how any of this works. And then when it comes down ultimately to it, we are on God's side when we're believers, and we've already won. Victory's already been proclaimed. And so when it leaks into the church, like, we just... It, it just starts creating this dualistic mindset of God versus Satan. Satan's defeated. Like, man, like, don't give him credit. So does that answer your question? Is that, like... Okay, so how does it affect people's theology? Man, okay, let's dive even deeper into that. So um, I mentioned open theism earlier, and now I, I didn't want to dive into open theism because I think that's more like omniscience, which is God's all-knowingness, you know? Um, but open theism kind of leads into this. Open theism is this idea that God doesn't know the future. And, like, people believe this. Like, I've interacted with people that believe this, that, that claim to be Christian. And I would say, like, man, that's, when I say heresy, I mean, like, you're off the mark. Like, you were, like, treading into this thing of, and it's kind of this idea that, like, God created things, all things, set them in motion, and he's in control, but, man, he doesn't even know the future. And it's kind of this, like, choose-your-own-adventure game. Like, anybody read those books, like, choose-your-own-adventure? Yeah, and then like what happens is like you choose this. Well, I don't want to go this way. I want to go this way. It's kind of like this choose your own adventure book. And man, it like shapes how you view God. But when you view God as the one who is sovereign and in control, like I, I told my wife the other day, we were talking about like her going back and getting her master's. And she's like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know. Like, like I mean, and I said, I said, babe, just take a step in faith. Just take a step in faith and know that whatever decision we make, it is a part of the Lord's will. Now that doesn't mean that like we don't go against his will. That gets down into like, the two wills of God, that there's his decreed will, which is always going to happen, and his moral will, which we break every day. God can work through our broken moral will, our broken sin, our brokenness. He works through our sin to make his decreed will come into pass. But we kind of come into this idea, especially when it comes to big man, little God theology, that we somehow have this, like, control over God. All right, that we have this control over God. I think there's a really popular pastor that, like, he said this, he said that... um it, it was like God accomplishes 99% of salvation and the 1% is the decision you make. And I mean, this guy is like really popular. Like, I'm not even going to say his name, like, but you can look up the quote. Like, he said that. And that's not biblical salvation at all. But the Lord is in control of salvation from beginning to end. And so, like, when we dive into this, like, 
Yes, we do have to repent. We do have to believe. And we do have to turn away from sin. That is what we proclaim. That is the gospel. And we call for people to make a decision. We call for people to do those things. And that does not mean that, once again, we do not have freedom. But, man, the way you have that freedom is that the Spirit has lifted the scales off of your eyes and you follow Christ. That is how you do it. You come to Christ because Christ just revealed himself in his fullness and in his glory. I mean, I'm a testament to this. I was saved at nine years old. I did the Christian thing. I, I did Bible drills. I got baptized, and I tried not to cuss, and I didn't drink, and I wore my purity ring. I did everything I was supposed to do until I was 17, and I tasted and saw that the Lord was good, and I, and I, I couldn't turn away from it because from 9 to 15, it, from 9 to 17, it was all moralism. It was do good, do the right thing, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you'll be a good Christian. But at 17... I had this moment, I mean, like Acts, Acts 9 moment with, with Paul. I mean, Paul gets kicked off his horse. What's the first thing he says? Lord, who are you, Lord? Doesn't know who just kicked him off his horse, but he knows that that person's in charge. And I had that moment. I saw Jesus, and I didn't want anything else. I kind of joke around and say, you know, the whole thing of the I looked back and I, I was walking with Jesus and I saw two footprints and there was a place where I didn't, you know. And then I saw two sets of footprints. It's like, Jesus, why is there only one set of footprints there? Did you leave me? No, I was carrying you. No, mine would have been like drag marks, claw marks. He drug me kicking and screaming. I honestly think he called me into ministry because, like, I mean, like, I know what I would have been doing if it wasn't for that. <laughs> he has a close watch on me. <laughs> is that, that good? Is that, all right, great. All right. Okay, so you're a different guy too. Yes. Talk about how, particularly the Western European American political implications impact the way people view God. Okay, so Western European. Yeah. I think people in the Eastern world, places like Africa, have a lot less problem with the issue of God. Yes. 100%. And so, yes, that's a very good, oh, man, that's such a good question. And so uh, Stephen Fraser, my fellow history nerd, he asked me this, um, if you're on the live stream, what, how does, like, Western European American political philosophy influence our, our view of sovereignty, of God's sovereignty? Um, every bit of it, right? Ever since you go back to the Magna Carta, where we forced a king to sign the Magna Carta, like, you mean, in, in all these, like, different liberty movements, like, American Revolution. I mean, I said it earlier, give me liberty or give me death, which, I mean, heck yeah. I mean, I came in earlier going on a rant about buying a car tag. That is literally the government stealing money in my pocket, all right? Like, man, I don't want to. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening. Um, so, anyway. Um, but, um, anyway. Um, it influences our idea of sovereignty because what happens is is that we are sovereign individuals, Right? Don't tread on me. All right? Join or die. We see that one all the time. I mean, what's some other mottos? And especially when it comes like, you know, going through the Western European mindset, you get to the Reformation. Like, and I mean, like, you get to the Reformation where you can read the scriptures on your own because we can print them now and get them out to the masses. And I'm not saying that, like, this is like this, like, horrible moment no that's wonderful that's great but the problem is is rooted in that the enlightenment came like rooted in the reformation the enlightenment came so out of this good thing this thing that was like 
human beings, this very secularized mindset of like we are enlightened, this very humanistic idea of like man is good, a good moral human being and all this, and then you trace those threads all the way up to now with social media where everybody has a dang opinion and has an expert at this. Because you can access it. Literally, infinity is in our pockets. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I don't have to his, teach history tests anymore because now it's just like, I mean, they can just Google it. And it frustrates me. Like, I'm just sitting there like going like, no, you're not learning history. And then we're just watching all these threats happen all over again. But ultimately, what is this? We think that we are sovereign individuals and you can't come in my house. You can't do these things. But when it comes to the Eastern mindset and the African mindset, like these like, they have no issue with it. Because they're raised inside these cultures where there is a sovereign. There is someone like this. There's someone in control. There is, a, there is somebody that is in control and all these things. And so they can wrap their mind around a sovereign. When we think about sovereign, we're like, I don't want a King George. There is no king. Checks and balances, baby. All right? Go Congress. That's how we go. And so that leaks into our churches and it leaks into how we think and all these things. And so does that answer your question? All right. So I'm just making sure. I didn't go too political, did I? All right, I'm just making like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah, um, Stephen Fraser just said that there's like sometimes like I mean, what it should happen is when we walk into the walk into the I'm saying this for the live stream, repeating it for you. Um, when we walk in to the church, our Americanness takes a back seat. But the problem is that we as Americans we are sovereign over so much of our lives, sovereign over so much of our lives that there's parts of our lives that we haven't surrendered, that we still walk in and and it just leaks into our churches. Um, I, I have a friend of mine that. Um, Trevin Wax, y'all know Trevin, y'all know Trevin, I, I, I met Trevin through a uh, Lifeway conference, and man, like, just cool relationship with him, is awesome, and so, um, but Trevin was talking about how he was a missionary in Romania, and like, when he walked in, like, and now, like, you talk about Romania, like, somebody's always been in control of Romania, like, there's never been, like, a moment where, like, Romanians was like, give me liberty or give me death, I mean, it was either a communist or, now they're free, you know, now they're good, praise God, and uh, they don't have, like, a, just a just dominion just being pushed on them, um, oppressive dominion. And uh, they walked in, and it was like Romanian Independence Day, and they didn't even acknowledge it. They didn't even acknowledge it. And, like, when he walked in, he was like, man, what, like, why didn't we, like, acknowledge it? Like, I mean, I think the guy, like, said something at the end of the service, like, hey, go celebrate your independence, all these things. And he goes, man, like, we are an emissary of the kingdom here. We represent all nations because we are a kingdom of all nations. And so and that's not to say that patriotism is bad. Man, I'm a patriot to the day I die. Like, I mean, I, I love America. Um, I love this country. But, man, our Americanness has to take a back seat. I even think our democratic system has leaked into the way that we view God and the way we view church and the way we view all things. And so we can't, we can't ask, man, what, you know, like, and you're talking to the guy that literally growing up, I dressed up as Uncle Sam and dressed in the pulpit and said, God wants you to join his church. Like, I mean, I did that on July 4th. I mean, there, there are pictures somewhere, all right? Like, and I'll find them and I'll show them to you. Um, it's embarrassing, uh, but... Um, I'm going to have to find that picture now. I've got a Photoshop job waiting. All right. So anyway, um, you're talking to that guy. I mean, but like real talk. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? If we're going to esteem the Bible and be a people of the book, what does the Bible say? 
And, I mean, that's been the biggest challenge for me ever since I was 17 years old. Like, I mean, I'll never forget reading things, you know, in the Bible that I'd never heard preached. I was reading things that, like, I felt like they were skipped over because they were hard. And reading those things and going, why have I never heard this? And then starting to think differently, and this is crazy, differently than my parents and differently than my pastor and differently than all these things. And I was like, I mean, I remember one night just weeping, like just crying, like, God, what in the world is going on? Like, I've never read this. You know? <laughs> and so, um, and then just asking questions and then developing. And y'all, like, here's the thing. I'm like, one of my favorite quotes from the um, Reformation, Semper Reformanda, always reforming, always reforming, man. Like, we are always constantly being formed in the image of Christ. If we ever stop, God help us. So I am not done. I'm still developing my theological beliefs. I'm still wrapping my mind around a lot of these things. But what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about who God is? It says that he is omnipotent. It says he is sovereign. What is our response to that? We worship, we fall at his feet, and we praise him for his great salvation, that he is an all-powerful, defeated death, and is sovereign over death and in control. Any other questions before we close out in prayer? Sweet. Awesome. Thank y'all for the good questions, and um, thank y'all for coming tonight. Hope that I didn't bore you to death, all right? So, and um, once again, God wants you to join his church. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, and uh, Father, I thank you for just a great time together of teaching, of diving into the word, and uh, talking about who you are. Father, I just pray that we will be a people of the book, and that we will be a people that worship you as the all-powerful one, the one that even though a virus is just ravaging our world right now, and we see nations struggling to figure out how to respond, even our own nation, which is like for so many years, the beacon. And God, we, we, we don't know what to do. Thousands of Americans are dying daily. God, you were in control. You were in control, and we trust in you, and we know that this is for your good in a way that well, our human minds can't fathom it. God, you were in control. Father, I pray that we will be a people who see you as the one who is in control, that see you as the one who sent us such a great salvation into Christ Jesus. The cross is the picture of your all-powerfulness and your sovereignty because even through sinful man, you have accomplished such a great salvation. Father, I pray this on your name and your son's most precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you all so much for coming. See you guys soon on the live stream. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.